0: Well, hello everyone. I hope you had a blessed and restful Christmas. I know it certainly was different for us and I'm sure it was for for many of you. Uh, But you know, I think it's important this morning as we begin to turn to the Word of God that we remember one thing, that the Christmas story is not a one-time event. It's not something that was from back then and has no effect now. It very much does change the rest of history. And so if it changes the rest of history, that means it changes my history. That means it changes your history. And I think that's actually really encouraging. And this morning we're gonna look at a portion of scripture that is traditionally used around this time uh, because it speaks to the coming Messiah, Jesus' arrival. But uh, I've been digging into it and looking into it for various reasons, and I think you'll find uh, some of this very encouraging and uplifting. And I wanna end today by just reminding you just how much Jesus cares for us And is with us as we now pivot and start looking into the new year. Uh, You know, it's going to be 2021 in a very few short days, and many of us have been looking forward to it for all sorts of reasons, Um, but let us not make the mistake of just thinking that, well, we're leaving 2020 behind in the past and moving on to 2021 uh, without reflecting on all the lessons we've learned in 2020 and how we can take uh, what God has shown us and taught us and what we've been discipled with in this year into our new year. So actually, I wanna talk a little bit about a portion of scripture, like as I said, um, from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, and uh, you may be familiar with it, it's from Isaiah chapter nine, but um, why I'm really impacted by it is this. I don't know if you've had the chance to watch the Christmas celebration yet that we aired on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but if you haven't, I encourage you to ask us how you can get a hold of that and watch the various testimonies, scripture readings and songs uh, done by members of the church, along with several carols uh, sung by our worship team. And in that particular uh, se- video series, it's only 55 minutes long, I had made an, uh, an appeal for people just to say what you feel, sing what you feel, read what you feel, and to get back to me. I did not uh, ask anybody to read anything in particular or to sing anything in particular, I just said, Give me what you think uh, you want to do. And so people bro- sent in their things. And then um, when I put together the video, I had a chance to kind of put them in an order uh, that I felt made sense. Now, uh, to be honest with you, I kind of took the nine worship songs from our worship team and split them up into three, and then just sort of randomly put everybody else in as best I could uh, while still making sure uh, we had a beginning and an ending and so on. Anyway, so, uh, as it turns out, if you read, if you see the beginning, um, Pastor and Armory Gwyneth uh, share a little bit at the beginning and uh, my mom, Gwyneth, uh, shares from Isaiah chapter nine and how much it was impacting her in these days. And then later on in the video, um, Ed, Rowena, and little Ella share as well and Ella does a reading and the reading they chose was Isaiah chapter nine. And then on another part in the video, uh, Pastor um, Rodriguez and Pastor Pastor Rabina share as well. They do a wonderful song, I highly encourage you watching that, but also share from Isaiah chapter nine. And then at the end of the video, which I had prepared far in advance uh, to say, we also, Val and I, shared from Isaiah chapter 9. Again, I didn't orchestrate any of it. I just found it interesting. There's a lot of Christmas scriptures. There's a lot of passages one could choose when speaking about Christmas, but this one seems to keep on resonating, and I felt, you know what, Lord, I I hear you. I'm going to dig into this a little more and just speak to the church about what this passage is saying to us, uh, both in its time and what it's saying to us today. And then, uh, Lo and behold, yesterday was Christmas Day, and of course, uh, along with a bunch of the guys, I was doing our daily Christmas reading on YouVersion, the Bible app, and sure enough, the verse of the day they chose at the beginning, or the verse image they had available, was Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. And uh, if you're on YouVersion, you'll see that I shared that verse image, and I just thought, thank you, Lord, for confirming that. I'm gonna keep on pushing in, and so I've been reading up on it, checking the history on it, seeing what other people have to say, that's what I would like to share with you today. I hope I just really encourage you as we come through this year end, as I said, and and head into the new year. So as you know, I'm a big lover of history, and I think it's important when you read a scripture, especially one that's from the Old Testament, that we understand what's going on. And so just in case you're not familiar, the book of Isaiah is written by a prophet Isaiah. So he would hear from the Lord and give messages to the people of Israel um, about what the Lord was saying. Um, it's important to understand that um, Isaiah spoke in three different times. Uh, The Jewish people at this time were about to go into exile um, and he was speaking to them in three different, if you will, his messages hit three different times, before the Babylon exile, during the exile, and then what would happen after the exile. And so in Isaiah chapter nine, he is speaking to the southern kingdom. Uh, Just to help you understand at that time, what we know as Israel roughly was split into two. Israel and Judah okay so uh, he was speaking to the southern uh, country if you will which was called Judah at the time before the exile and the surrounding countries are pressuring Judah to make go to war basically against the empire at the time called Assyria and um, but anyway he's afraid the king is afraid to go against them and so on and there's all this back and forth and so Judah was very powerless, and he's trying to buy off his way. The king of Judah is trying to buy their way out of and attack. They're saying, well, um, you may have heard the English phrase, pay a king's ransom. Well, it comes from this. One king would send to the more powerful king a bunch of gold and money and things and say, please don't attack me, basically. And... Um, Anyway, this is the situation you are in. So Judah, as a nation, the king feels powerless, and they were afraid of everybody around them, and their enemies are growing around them, okay? And Isaiah is speaking this particular time to that nation, but again, like I told you, uh, Isaiah does say in his prophecies that eventually Judah and Israel, and all of them, would suffer defeat, would go into exile, and then eventually return, okay? And um, in the book of Isaiah, both in uh, chapter seven and chapter nine, Isaiah speaks of a child that is to come, okay? And so we're, we're going to not go to the one Isaiah 7 today, but you can go read it. And today we're going to look at the one in verse 9. So I'm just going to read uh, for you that particular part. It's a longer part. So this is Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7. I'm going to read the whole thing for a contextual view of what's happening, and then we'll go. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living on the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then this comes to the part that many people are used to from the Christmassy part. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne forever and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Okay, so that's the scripture we're going to look at. And I, maybe if you're like me, I don't know. But we'll start obviously at the beginning. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Now remember, this particular prophecy is going out to a group of people who are under attack, who feel threatened, who, who sense their imminent destruction. And this prophecy is coming, oh, someone's coming, someone's going to be born that's going to save you from all this. And I can understand at the time that they might misunderstand this and think, oh, there's a future king or some future warrior coming. Maybe the king's son or somebody's son or some general that's going to come and save us from the oppressors. But Isaiah is actually looking far beyond this. And we know that because as we begin to, as Isaiah goes on to describe who this son is, He cannot be a man. He cannot be somebody who's just human. And we'll we'll begin to understand that. So he says to this, Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now this is now saying right away, it's a gift from the Lord. You know, we go back to John 3.16. We've been there a lot lately, right? In the word of God. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Okay? God is giving to us. All right? So the son is given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. Remember earlier in in the verses we were reading, it said later, you know, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them and the bar across their shoulders. I've shared this before, but just to remind people for an ancient audience, they would know what this means. Or even today, if you'd see this, when ox are pulling a cart across a field, The way that works is you have a bar with like two round holes for their head to go into, and then the bar goes across their back, their neck and shoulders, and they pull the cart. Okay, so the yoke, that's what's called a yoke. All right, so when they're saying, the yoke will be broken and shattered and the government will be upon his shoulders. What they're saying is, you're no longer gonna be in slavery, you're no longer gonna be held back by these things, pulling everything and upon you. It's now going upon this son, this, who is this gift? This son is gonna take the government upon his shoulders. Okay, and in fact, um, that Hebrew word there, it's actually shakam, I don't often do this, but I looked into it, and uh, it means the neck area between the shoulders and the necks, you know, like where you really bear weight. If you've ever listed something really heavy, or I don't know about you, back in my younger days, when I used to do rugby practice, they used to make us pick up our teammates in what they call a fireman carry, put them up over our back and hold them like that, and then carry them across the field as a part of training, so you're carrying it on their shoulders. Essentially, the weight of all things, the weight of government, and it's not just talking about Canada's government, UK's government, the, the rulership, if you will, the kingship of the world is upon the shoulders of this son, this promised son, who is coming to us. And so this whole idea, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, N.T. Wright says it like this, It's the idea is something like this, the weight of the whole world is on his shoulders. And you know, some people say that. You ever heard when people are stressed out or something going on in our life tough, and they say, oh, I feel like the weight of the whole world is on my shoulders. Well, the promise of the Bible is actually the weight of the whole world is gonna be put upon this gift, upon this son who is to come. The government, the rulership of all things, will be upon his shoulders. Excuse me. He goes on to say, and N.T. Wright goes on to say, it's about this child growing up and putting God's kingdom into operation close up wherever he goes. And you see that in Jesus's life as you go on. This is what it looked like. It looks like, Jesus says, when God is running things, the world gets turned right way up. And so this message of the scripture, the governor being upon his shoulders, is that we look around and say, oh, the world's in chaos and people are fighting and people are whatever. And you know, there's a truth to that. But we can rest assured and confident and calm and hopeful that Jesus is taking all of that upon his shoulders. We don't have to carry the weight of the world. We don't have to carry all those burdens, right? And that's why we understand the scripture promise from the New Testament. It says, My take, sorry, the Bible says, My burden is light, right? He's saying, Let me take all of this off of you. Let me take all of this stress, all of this care, all of this whatever off of you, and I'm gonna take it. And here's the first scripture reference to it in the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, um, telling us about the coming Messiah. It's also interesting to note, in ancient times, it was quite normal. This might be part of that as well, that people who were running the government, and people who were in charge, would have uh, something on their shoulder, or they would have a key tapped on their shoulder. Could, like you ever seen somebody get knighted today? Like if Queen Elizabeth knights somebody in the United Kingdom, she taps a sword on each shoulder, and it means that they're now a knight. Well, in the same way, you would tap the key on the person's shoulder, and that's if this person now has the authority on their shoulders of the position they have. Well, this person, this Messiah coming, this pro, this prophet is saying, this person is gonna have all authority put on their shoulders, right? In the same way that you would say like a normal uh, government would. Okay, so we, we see that the government's gonna be upon his shoulders, and we've kind of looked at that a little bit uh, in depth, Then we want to dive into the next part where he says this. It says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Sort of double-barreled names. These are titles given to this coming Messiah, this child to be born. Remember earlier I said, we know this is not just some man because you might say, okay, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Okay. There might be somebody born, some king, some man, some woman who's quite a good counselor and renowned for their wisdom and so on, like Solomon or whatever, and we could say, oh, this could be uh, the the one to come. This, this man might be a general or a king or a whatever. But then it goes, mighty God. Oh, okay, right away we know now this is not just any normal person being born. This is something special. It's gonna be God himself. Everlasting Father, again, everlasting means eternal. So this can't be somebody who doesn't die Sorry, this can't be somebody who does die, right? It's got to be somebody who's eternal. This is not just your ordinary person. This is Prince of Peace. Well, you know, maybe that could be somebody who's human, somebody who's known for bringing peace and so on. But those two mi- ones in the middle really make it clear that we're talking about something very special, somebody very holy here, somebody otherworldly. Okay, and so I want to look at two, uh, each of these. Right, And actually, this is referenced in the Christmas story. Do you remember when the angel Gabriel comes to tell Mary about having Jesus? This is what he says in Luke 1, verse 32 to 33. Listen to what he says. He says, remember he says, you shall have a son and you shall call him Jesus. And he goes, listen, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And we go back to Isaiah Remember, what does he say here? He says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he'll reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it, and from that time and forevermore. So again, the angel Gabriel, almost verbatim repeating the prophet Isaiah to Mary, saying, hey, this is who we're talking about. This, just, just Jesus, I'm telling you you're gonna have, this is who it is. And so let's look at the four aspects here and how that can give us confidence and hope in the coming days and let's like have the first one of wonderful counselor. Okay, so first, we know counselors. Today, you know, help us. We can talk to them. We can bring our problems to them, and so on, and I don't begrudge people who uh, I think it's a good thing if you need, think, feel you need help, and you need to go speak to somebody, a therapist, or a friend, or a pastor, or whatever. This is great. Get counsel. Uh, Bible says that you can prosper from having my, many wise counselors. That's a great idea, but this title we're giving here is not just counselor, it's wonderful counselor. It means it's beyond, it's, norm, it's beyond the normal, it's extraordinary, it's supernatural. In other words, this God, this person, this man God, this that's who Jesus is, is a wonderful counselor beyond all human comprehension or understanding. Also, the big key factor that makes God, this Jesus, the wonderful counselor is he does not need counsel himself. All those people I mentioned and encourage you to go see a therapist or your pastor or friends or a professional, whatever, for counsel. God bless them and they're good help. But they all, in fact, need counsel as well. But God is the only one who can say, who has counseled me? I don't need counsel. Romans tells us, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who is his counsel? There is none. You may have read, this, read the story of Job, when Job was complaining to God, and all of Job's friends have their opinions, and God shows up and says, excuse me, are you the one who stores the snows? Are you the one who causes lightning to fall? Are you the one who formed this whole thing? I don't need your counsel. And we shouldn't look at that as a problem that should free us to realize who better to get counsel from than the one who himself does not need counseling. And so this wonderful counselor is available to all of us to seek and to speak to. The promise of the Bible is very clear. Bible says, if you knock, I will answer. If you seek, you will find. I mean, over and over again, you seek help, you seek counsel, he will give it. Okay, so we'll go on to the next one. And it says, we will call him Mighty God. Uh, the translation again there again is almost like hero. He will call him the hero God. So this is Jesus coming to save the day. There's a cheesy cartoon out there. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You can get it on a t-shirt, but it's of all the Marvel superheroes, you know, Spider-Man and um, Hulk and all those people sitting around uh, uh, talking to Jesus. And Jesus says in the bubble, it says, then that's how I saved the world. Now, I know Jesus is a lot more than a cartoon superhero, but I get the idea. He is actually a real hero. All the other ones I just mentioned, all these ones we see in movies and books and things, are all made up. There's not, they can't do what the comic books say they can do. They can't have all the superpowers. This is not possible. But Jesus Christ truly is supernatural. He is God. He is the hero God. He is mighty. The Bible says he's mighty to save. And so there's nothing that he cannot do. That reminds you, some of you who grew up in Sunday school, just remember that song, right? My God is so big, my God is so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do, 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 right? Because it sticks with you. God is mighty. There's nothing he can't do. And there's some good old words I want to remind you of, good theological words. Jesus himself, he is omnipotent, omnipotent, okay? And we, what that means is he is All-powerful, he is without weakness. Both things mean the same thing. No one, nothing, is more powerful than he. The same child that was born in the manger is the omnipotent, all-powerful God, amen? All right, and then we get to he is the everlasting father. Okay, so now I understand in today's world a lot of people maybe don't have healthy father figures whether in their own father or in their lives or whatever it may be. But imagine the perfect father. Imagine what you think the perfect father would act like and that is how God acts. And you say, well, how's it like in Richard? Jesus is the son. Yes, but Jesus is the son and Jesus is is God. And God is the son, the father, and Holy Spirit. And so this God represented as the Trinity is also our everlasting father. So this child will grow up and be like a father to me. And remember, the way Jesus lived his life exemplified the very best of fatherhood. Loving, self-sacrifice, always looking out for his people, always looking out for his friends. So Jesus today, if you've grown up in a life where you've had negative or poor father figures, please understand that Jesus, God himself, can take the place of that bad example you've had in life. Now, if you've been fortunate and blessed, even like myself, to have a great father figure, it doesn't mean that, well, I can't experience God's father love. Yes, you can. Maybe in a deeper way that you ever can with your natural father. God is your father. He loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. He's not a father who's aloof and staying away from you and doesn't have time for you. He makes the time. Again, I said it just a couple of minutes ago. If you seek him, if you ask, he will answer. And finally, the last title we want to look at is We Will Call Him the Prince of Peace. This is the key of part of the whole story. See, Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he overcomes all things. He conquers all things in the name of peace. I'm using the word conquer, which we understand is a military term, but he conquers through a way which is completely contrary to the way that humans understand conquering. He conquers, first of all, all of us by winning our heart. Actually, modern militaries do this. Do you know in the modern military, they have a thing called hearts and minds campaigns. And so if you have an invading force or a force, uh, say Canadian soldiers operating in Afghanistan, they do what they call hearts and minds campaigns. So they try to get to know the villagers and they, give them, they sit down and have tea with them and they maybe give them some sweets and they talk and they try to build a relationship because they're trying to win their hearts and minds Okay, through different means and different tactics. Well, Jesus is the ultimate winner of hearts and minds. He conquers us our sorry excuse he conquers our hearts by conquering sin and death for us by coming to the earth living and dying on the cross rising from the grave he went down to the hell he went his bible tells us he went down to hades and he took the keys of sin and death and hell and now they've been conquered so that our hearts can be conquered and we can be his children and know his peace he doesn't do it by force but he does disarm us, he disarms his enemies with love. And you may say, well, I'm not God's enemy. Listen, if we're not following Jesus Christ and we're not following the ways of Jesus, or following him, at that point, the Bible tells us we are in enmity with God. We're not, if we're just living in our sin and just going on, we have a problem with God. But Jesus comes and conquers sin and death so that we might have an open and honest relationship with God and have that relationship with the Father I mentioned before. So that's why he's the Prince of Peace. He brings peace ultimately between man and God, which is the ultimate issue facing us as humans today. And he also brings peace between men. The Bible tells us very clearly there's a day coming when Jesus is going to come and put an end to all this nonsense and all our infighting and all our bickering. And on that day, every knee will bow, it says, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we shall truly know peace. So as I've been saying, there's just so many ways we can be encouraged this morning that this son, this child that was coming, this is taking all all the government, all this leadership upon him, all these burdens upon him so that we don't have to. He is the wonderful counselor here for you. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father and he is the prince of peace. And you're saying, well, what's going to happen? It goes on to say about, you know, he'll sit on the throne of David and so on. These are all fulfilling prophecies, a, a promise to David that his descendants uh, would give birth eventually to, to the Messiah, and so on. And then it says, it ends with this same sentence, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I was thinking about that, zeal. I mean, it's not a word we hear a lot. Usually only in bad terms we say someone's a zealot, they're overly zealous about something. But in this sense, it means a good thing. It means, if you have zeal now, let's say about anything, it means you're willing, engaged, and motivated. You know you can mean our zealous devotion to God, okay? Um, But zeal, in this sense, is God's passion, God's will to do this for his people. In the prophecy, in its contextual time in history, he's saying, hey, Israel, I'm gonna save you from all of this, and the Savior is gonna be born from you, and that Savior then is gonna be Savior for the whole world, the whole government, all nations will come under his rule and his reign. Nothing else could do this but God's zeal. No human effort. This is what's wrong with so much of what's happening in the Western church today. We're trying to manufacture a move of God. We're trying to manufacture the way God moves. You cannot do it. It's only God's zeal. You can't vote the right person in or vote the right person out or have a certain law that's going to make people do things or maybe have the perfect sermon or the perfect church or the perfect presentation. None of that exists. It's God's zeal. And the church can't even accomplish it without God's power and God's help. So be assured this morning that God not only is working on it, it's done. He's already got the victory, He's, and you can be a part of that. And so as we come to a new year, and we're reflecting back on the difficult year we all had of different levels, I wanna remind you of a few scriptures. Now, there's going to be a lot, so you might want to like watch us again and pause to write it all down, or maybe you, uh, just I want you to follow where I'm going here, because there's so many things that I want you to think about, about what Jesus does for us. This promise in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. What happens when we give our life to Jesus? What promises does Jesus have for us today? So wherever you are today, I want you to listen. Now we've got 15 promises to go through. Okay, here we go. Number one, Luke 1.37, nothing is impossible with God. You guys know I love very extreme words in the Bible. Nothing is impossible for God. Now, to use a silly example, so does that mean that God could cause a creature to be born that's half zebra and half monkey? Yes, but that's not the point. Right? Don't be silly with that idea. But those challenges and problems and things you're facing in life, the sin you can't overcome, the problems you think can't be resolved, nothing is impossible with God. Luke 147. Now, an off-misused scripture, but it's a good one. Philippians 4:13. It says, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." Amen? A lot of athletes use that, a lot of athletes put that on their shoes and so on when they're in the Olympics and so on. Amen to that, but let's be smart about what it's actually saying in context. What it means is when I'm following the Lord, when I'm when I'm in the right place with the Lord and I'm making sure that I'm just in communication and and, and, commun- and, and communing with Him in a right relationship with Him, I can do all things. How many things? All things. Um, my favorite, probably my favorite verse that's been with me since I was a young boy Uh, number three, Proverbs three, verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. These days, many of us are so keen to just just trust ourselves. Don't do that this morning, trust in the Lord. Okay, Philippians four, six, this one's really big for COVID times, you ready? We've been saying this all year, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, no matter what you're going through, I added that part, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. So we don't have to be anxious about anything, what's coming, what's been, what we don't know, but in every situation we pray. Amen. Number five. And we know, it says in Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works to excuse me, works for the good of those who fear him, who have been called according to his purpose. Remember we said earlier on, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this? God's working for the good for those who follow him. He's at work, he's behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, above the scenes, below the scenes, we just have to walk with him. All right, Jeremiah 17, seven, number six says this, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. So be blessed, have confidence this morning, trust in the Lord. Number seven, Psalm 56, three, when am I afraid, well, excuse me, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. So if you're fearful at any time, just look up to the heavens and say, God, I put my trust in you, help me. Well, know what it is to not live in fear. Number eight, Psalm 37, 59 says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do it. Psalm again, 2511, verse 9: In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Verse 10, sorry, excuse me, number 10. Romans 8, 31, very famous one. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? We have to fear no man, we fear no government, we feel no fear, we feel no anybody, we fear no anything, because God is for us. And First Peter verse, uh, chapter five, verse seven, similar to one we heard earlier, but it's important to remind ourselves, especially with the anxiety we're all feeling with different things. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Your wonderful counselor cares about you. He loves you. So you might need to just get on your knees and say, God, I'm feeling anxious about this and that and this and that. I'm just casting it. What is cast? You ever cast? You go fishing, you cast. It's almost like throw it all on God. Because the government's on his shoulders. Everything's on his shoulders. He can take it. And he will give you back peace. Number 12, we're almost at the end. Can you... Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Matthew 6, 27. So don't waste an hour of your life worrying. Spend that hour casting your anxieties on the Lord. Amen? All right, number 13. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Proverbs 12, 25. Now, this is in here, folks, because... Here what it says, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. So as Christians, we've got an opportunity to share kind words out there. Don't spread anxiety. Don't be posting and speaking and phoning anxiety and weighing down people. Cheer them up with the word of the Lord. Actually, you might say to them, hey, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Get people thinking God loves them. God cares for them. God is for them. Number 14, Psalm 34, 4. I like this promise. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all, I, all my fears. Remember earlier I said the promise of the Bible is very clear. If you seek, you find. If you knock, he answers. So on and so forth. So if you seek the Lord, he answers and he will deliver you. And we'll finish with this one. Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So if you're tired after this year, if you're feeling ground down after this year, if you're feeling weak after this year, or even going into the new year, you're concerned about these things, he will give you strength. Know that the Lord is for you. He loves you. So let's go back right to the beginning and remember this. For unto you, a child has been born and a son has been given. Take that promise this morning. And if you're struggling with your faith today, even say right now, wherever you are at home, watching your phone, whatever, just say, God, I thank you for the gift of your son. I thank you that you sent Jesus to this earth to make it right, to heal that relationship between man and God. Help me to know what it is to live and worship him. I wanna give my life to you. I wanna give my anxieties to you. Help me to move away from the sin in my life, those things in my life I know I'm doing wrong, Lord. Speak to, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I'll know what it is to be wonderfully counseled. That I'll know what it is to have an everlasting father. I'll know what it is to be at peace and to know your mighty strength. Just pray this right now, and I promise you that He will speak to you, He will answer and deliver you. I'm praying and blessing over all of you as we head into the new year. I really do encourage you, please join us on the prayer meeting on Zoom this New Year's Eve. Keep your eyes open for the details. If you're not sure, you can contact me. And let's just pray as we end this year and head into the new one and put God at the center of all things. God bless you, and I hope you have a great week.